0: Again and welcome to another edition of the Great Lake Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan schuling Heather frari our proud sponsor at the Record Lounge, and those are the sounds you hear coming in and going out of each GLD podcast. It's the holiday shopping season, counting you down now within three weeks of the big day. If you've got some big shopping to do, you want to get a special something, a unique gift. The record lounge is your place they've got all the latest and greatest in vinyl the new ones come in every friday the collectibles are always there and coming in each and every day if you want something they don't have heather and her crew will special order it for you and it should be available within 24 to 48 hours they're located just south of downtown lansing 496 you take that to washington head south And it's on the east side of the street. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Be sure to stop by and say hello. Tell them you heard this on the Great Lakes Divide podcast. They'll give you a wink and a nod. Might even give you a special deal for these holidays as well. They've got hi-fi stereo equipment. All the latest in that as well. That's approved by an engineer electrician. So the old stuff from the 70s and 80s is in full working order guaranteed. And if you ever have a problem with any of their products, you can bring it right back in and they'll gladly. Look at it for you exchange it or repair it. That's the record lounge in Rio town. Starting off with the announcement on Sunday of the college football playoff. There was no surprise in the teams that were assigned, maybe somewhat in the seeding. It will break down as follows. In the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl that's in Atlanta, LSU will play back-to-back games there, and they'll be the number one seed against the fourth seeded Oklahoma Sooners, 12-1 and on the year, the only team that makes this year's field that has even a single loss. They are the Big 12 champions, having beaten Baylor twice, And in the championship game for the Big 12 down in Texas, they won that game in overtime. Their lone loss of the season was at Kansas State. Of course, Jalen Hurts, how about this story? Quarterback, formerly of Alabama, the Crimson Tide not in the postseason this year for the playoff. Oklahoma makes it by the skin of their teeth, and that'll be a 4 p.m. Eastern Time start on ESPN coming up on saturday december 28th the nightcap will feature third seed clemson champions of the acc after they took virginia behind the woodshed and beat them soundly number two seed ohio state they were on the ropes there for a full half against wisconsin before turning it around and that probably cost them the number one seed they will square off these two in the playstation fiesta bowl out in arizona And that'll be, again, an 8 p.m. Eastern time start on ESPN. Current lines for these games, the LSU Tigers are favored by 13 over Oklahoma. And Clemson, the lower seed, a a one-and-a-half point favorite over Ohio State. The committee saying that the final spot came down to Oklahoma, 12-1, and And Georgia, who had two losses on the season. One of those in spectacular fashion to LSU as the Tigers dominated the SEC title game. But Georgia's loss at home to South Carolina, to me, this should have been a no-brainer that they were eliminated, disqualified, and gone from the conversation. But apparently that's what it came down to. Oklahoma at four and Georgia at five as we bring in Tom Crawford. So, Tom, two questions. First, did the committee get it right with the seating and placement of the team's Secondly, what do you think about this Georgia storyline and this inherent bias it seems toward the SEC?
1: Well, it's a concern for you know in the future uh, you know, as far as an attitude towards the SEC. I mean, the fact that Georgia would even be in the conversation, I mean this, the, the committee made it had it so easy ma- uh, made for them thanks to Utah obviously gagging uh, to Oregon, uh, made it just a cut drive for, the four teams that were going to make it. And, you know, with Oklahoma beating Baylor a second time, I thought that was clearly justified. Clemson hasn't beaten, you know, that's one of the weakest uh, Power Five conference performances at ACC this year was an absolute joke, but it's how they did it. Um, that, that they, I guess they deserve to be in there because there's nobody else. And then, obviously, you got the two best teams in LSU, and Ohio State, and I think they got that right because Ohio or LSU came from the tougher conference. The SEC is tougher than the Big Ten, uh, and they all, and they went to Texas and beat uh, the Longhorns on the road early in the year in a comeback fashion. I I just give them I, without hesitation. I give them the nod. Over Ohio State, one versus two, although both are, are pretty close.
0: It's the first time in the history of the playoff, which only goes back to the 2014-15 season, that four separate Power Five conference champions all qualified. LSU out of the SEC, Ohio State out of the Big Ten, Clemson out of the ACC, Oklahoma out of the Big 12. The Pac-12 gets left out yet again. They've only had two qualifiers in the six years of the playoff. The first one, Oregon. They were the two seed back then in the original playoff. Washington, two years later in the 2016 fall campaign, snuck in as the number four overall seed. But they've been shut out since. Now, the ACC is almost unequivocally at this point, Tom, Clemson and everybody else. Now, the Pac-12 is kind of everybody else, but... Overall, which is the stronger conference? I would argue perhaps that it is the Pac-12 with Oregon and Utah and USC because I look over at the ACC, I see Clemson, and Virginia's not very good. They beat Virginia Tech, who's okay, but the ACC, like you just said, I I hate to take away from a 13-0 team in Clemson, but who did they play really?
1: They didn't play anybody, and the, the, the fact of the matter is they were very lucky to beat North Carolina, and everybody has those games where they sneak by once in a while. Virginia Tech was the only team in the ACC who I thought had a chance of being or, or competing rather with Clemson in the ACC title game, and Virginia took that away from them by beating them. And I thought that that was that was unfortunate for the ACC because Vod Tech is is better than Virginia. I don't know how the heck that happened, but it's a lousy league, and I just think you know it, this is why they got to go with eight teams. Yeah. Okay. So your Power Five, Clemson, you get a bid, but that the Pac-12 should have a bid. So you have your Power Five, five Power Five teams get a bid. You go maybe one group of five and two at large, and there you go. It's so freaking simple. I don't get it. This is hideous the way just staying with four teams. Yeah, this is a year. This kind of year it'll get reinforced. See, there's no arguments. There's no chaos, and that's the disappointing part of what happened this weekend.
0: You know, you look at what could be an eight-team playoff, and I'm with you, Tom, in complete agreement that that is the number because I want a path for a group of five team. It could only be one, and and maybe you get two with the at-larges that you're talking, but guarantee a spot. You make the conference championship games, playoff games in and of themselves, and sure, a Cinderella might get in, but that's the beauty of it, and it puts more weight on that particular game and gives it more meaning. So you give Power Five champions from that game an automatic bid. You give a group of five team a... A bid. The best one this year, that would be Memphis, 17th in the overall college playoff rankings, but they're 12 and 1. Their only loss was to Temple, I believe. And you put them in the eight seed spot and have LSU get that game in the opening round, in the quarterfinal. The other matchups I would have would be two seed Ohio State against seven seed Baylor. Baylor's only two losses, both to Oklahoma. Uh, three-seed Clemson against six-seed Oregon. And then how about the opening round matchup where the committee came down to these two teams, the four versus the five, Oklahoma and Georgia. I think all those teams are deserving. If you don't get in with two losses, you don't really have a lot of people to blame. People always say, this is the big argument, Tom. Like, well, if number five has an argument, then if you go to eight, number nine has an argument. But number nine has a much weaker argument than number five does.
1: Absolutely. you know, you're, you're exactly right. You know, I, the, the sad part of this, this weekend, Ryan, was this. In two of those conference games, one of the participants didn't have a chance of getting in the playoff. And that takes away from the game. We, Wisconsin, if Wisconsin had won, they're not going to get in the playoff. And if Oregon had beaten Utah, they weren't going to get in the playoff because they screwed up against ASU. That's that's the thing that I take away the most that glaring variable right there I think it's hideous and it's just someone's got to throw a bunch of money at these idiots and get them to to see the light whatever prompts them to, to call to action and get this thing fixed
0: do you see an answer in sight? In other words, Tom, we, we keep crowing about it. You and I are on this bandwagon. I think the majority of fans are. I know Jim Harbaugh would like to get even more than eight, but I think eight is a good number. The, we know how long the agreement's supposed to go. The committee that's in place right now, the NCAA, pretty much has said this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. What is the next step? Do you think there could be enough of a rallying cry to say, hey, look, we got to expand this thing? Or like you said, did this year kind of go, see, four teams works
1: well i i think you know my my thought was always if alabama ever got loft out of the playoff they would have a meltdown and that would force change yeah but the problem is that alabama you know there was no argument for alabama you know well how long does this thing go was it 2026 or is it 2024
0: yeah i believe this, this, i believe it's 2024.
1: okay 2024 okay we're, we're we're four years away i mean i guess you know i guess that's not too bad but if someone would put together an incredible monetary package, where they there's just no way they can say no to it, uh, with with sponsorships, that's how you get the thing, you know, going going through the drive-through and make the thing happen a lot quicker.
0: So that will be the schedule for the college football playoff with the four teams there. We'll get more into the matchups and the breakdown, but a first blush here, Tom, I think this has been pointing toward an LSU-Ohio State national championship for some time, but I I don't know how good Clemson is. They haven't been really tested by a team where I go, whoa, they really proved themselves. Sure, they shellacked Virginia. I wasn't that impressed. So if you had to call it right now, is LSU-Ohio State in the championship game, or does Clemson have a legitimate, Legitimate shot. They're favored against the Buckeyes.
1: Well, the problem with with Clemson is you just don't know. I mean, because they haven't been. They look, you know. They. I mean, if they were a great team, they would. That would do what they're doing to these teams, right? But how you really you just have no really concept of how good they are because they haven't played a formidable opponent. Uh, Ohio State has a lot of you know I, I know a lot of these kids don't rem, weren't there around in in 2016, but man, last time Ohio State played Clemson was in the CFP and what was it 31 nothing or something like that. I think Ohio State will come ready to play in this game, and I and I think they'll 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 beat. Clemson because they're coming from better competition. I always look at competition just like I look at the NCAA tournament. I look at conferences and what these teams have gone up against in preparation for when they're under the lights. So I see Ohio State knocking off Clemson and then um, I have LSU uh, at least 10 to 14 points over Oklahoma, which is a cute story, and that's it's going to end there at a cute story with Jalen. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing about
0: Ohio State is you watch that game and Wisconsin dominate the first half, and I was in awe because this was a game that played – Previously in the season, Ohio State dominated and maybe got caught a little bit bit napping. Not that they were underestimating Wisconsin, but the Badgers came out with a game plan ready to execute. Jonathan Taylor was outstanding in that first half. So what you're saying along those lines, Tom, do you believe the fact that Ohio State was tested, that they had a very tough game against Wisconsin, kind of sobered them up and got them more prepared, sharpened their knives, in other words, for this college football semifinal?
1: Absolutely. That, That beats the heck out of winning, you know, 63-14 63-14 like I thought the game was going to be. Right. Listen, you know, Ryan Day came out on Monday at his press conference and cited that the rivalry game, you know, he doesn't mention Michigan, the rivalry game is the most important game of the year, even the national championship game. I mean, that's how that program looks at it. Well, if you perceive that rivalry game that important, you're going to have a little bit of a letdown. I don't care how you shake it, you know, and, and so I, I think there was a little hangover from the euphoria of pounding Michigan again in Ann Arbor, and I, you know, I thought that you know they finally got their act together. It with Ohio State, it takes one play. It's like Dwayne Haskins two years ago. They're down fourteen nothing to Michigan, and and Cardale Jones gets hurt, and or J T Barrett, one of the two gets hurt. I can't remember who it was, and in comes Dwayne Haskins, and he throws this incredible pass and it ignites the team this thing on saturday night a fake punt ignited that team and then a catch a spear catch by a tight end and then i knew at that time it's off to the races game over ohio state takes one and two plays like that and just shoots off like you know gets it you know gets its moxie going and they're off to the races
0: yeah, I couldn't agree more. That fake punt was absolutely the catalyst a, that turned see, this game. That was that took a lot of balls to do that. <laughs> it was, and how about this? So Ohio State trails at the half 21-7. They outscore Wisconsin the rest of the way 27-0, and you know what? This goes back, Tom, to the Michigan-Ohio State game, and something that you said, and something you were frustrated with, and that is Ohio State makes adjustments. They change what they're doing at halftime. They identify problems and fix them, and their opponent don't I mean Michigan didn't, and Wisconsin did a complete 180 in the second half in Indy.
1: Well, here's where you got to tip your hat to Greg Madison. You know their defense adjusted to what Wisconsin was doing. Jonathan Taylor didn't get anything in the second half. They just stymied them, um, and and Al Washington, all their other assistants. I mean, uh, they they just made the made the adjustments, and 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 then offensively they were more efficient as well. So uh, and it could they could have scored some more points there too. Um, so it didn't surprise me. Wisconsin, I, I thought, we, you know, you know, they played well. They played hard. I think uh, they're a good representative for the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl against Oregon. That will be an interesting matchup. So I thought the Big Ten overall, when you look at the whole the whole gamut of it, um, having three teams in a, in the a, in the New Year's Six. I mean, the playoff and the other two in the top ten. It's pretty good showing for the Big Ten.
0: Ohio State winners, 34-21 over Wisconsin. That puts them into the two-seed in the playoff. And as Tom just mentioned, as we look at the overall bowl picture for the Big Ten, nine qualifiers at 6-6 and or better all get in. And by virtue of Ohio State getting bumped up to the college football playoff line, Wisconsin going to the Rose Bowl as a result, usually reserved for the Big Ten champion if that champion doesn't make it to the playoffs. So Wisconsin is there. And then Penn State getting one of the at- large bids for the New Year's Six Bowls going to the Cotton. That elevated every other team up, including Michigan State. And what did that do for the Spartans? That got them out of the Quick Lane Bowl, where Eastern Michigan will now play Pitt and the Fighting Pat and doozies, and into the Pinstripe Bowl, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl in the Bronx, Yankee Stadium, New York, New York, and that'll be a 3.20 p.m. Eastern time start. It'll be the first Big Ten Bowl participant in action on ESPN Friday, December 20 as the Spartans at 6-6 take on the 8-4 Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And for a good portion of this season, Tom, not Virginia, not Virginia Tech, but it was Wake Forest in that division that looked like it might be the chief competition for Clemson. They faded a bit down the stretch. They finish 8-4. Again, first blush thoughts on this matchup for Michigan State.
1: Well, I mean, Wake Forest can move the football. They got a pretty good offense, and you know, but they they did fade down the. They lost to Syracuse. Syracuse is not very good. They lost to them in overtime in the last game. Um, listen, when you're the third best team in the ACC, you're just not a very good football team. <laughs> I think this is a winnable game, but will they win it? Where is Michigan State mentally going into? You're gonna, you know, it's going to be a wet snow flush slush fest there and you know they'll the probably barely see the yard lines it's a horrible bowl game to go to and for a couple of reasons how do your alumni if they're even motivated to go to pay at the holiday times go you know go to manhattan and get a 400 500 a night hotel i mean it's a terrible bowl game to go to i think michigan state would have been way better off to play in the 72 72 degree heat of the ford field and the quick lane bowl
0: Wake Forest starts the season 5 and 0 including fairly impressive wins over a perennially very good team from the Mountain West and Utah State, North Carolina, Boston College, but after a 5 and 0 start The Demon Deacons finished three and four, including losing three of their last four games. And in those games, allowing at least 27 points or more to Virginia Tech and a 36-17 loss to Clemson and a 52-3 drubbing, a 39-27 win over Duke at home. And then as Tom pointed out, the loss at Syracuse extremely puzzling in overtime, 39-30. So it's a Wake Forest defense that isn't exactly solid. It's the movable object against the resistible force in Michigan. State's offense for the Spartans here. And as Tom also pointed out, weather almost certainly going to be a factor in New York City on December 27th. So a run game will be important, but Elijah Collins has struggled. No fault of his own, in my opinion. An offensive line that can't move and get holes for their running backs. So as we break this game down, we'll see what happens between now and then. If the Spartans might get a guy like Daryl Stewart back on offense, that could be a very big factor. But as they get these extra practices, Tom, I and mean, we kind of hone in on this game now over the next couple of weeks for Michigan State. You know, getting a win in this game, you've mentioned how important it is to kind of set the tone for next season. Mark D'Antonio was asked, uh, I think by Matt Charbonneau about the status of his coaching staff. He said, we'll decide that after the game. A lot of groans from that. However, Mark D'Antonio is not going to say right now, yeah, I'm going to fire Mark Staten and Dave Warner and all these other guys. That's not going to happen. Um, one little th- <laughs> This is just a fun tidbit. I know it's not serious, but Rich Rod. Rodriguez is not being retained uh, by Lane Kiffin, who's going to Ole Miss to coach there. How about Rich Rod as offensive coordinator for the Spartans?
1: I don't think you want any part of Rich Rodriguez. I, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, this is a really important game. Bowl games are huge. And Michigan State needs a little hint of positivity. You know, they have the Mark Antonio deposition that comes in January. And a, and just the potential of that, that negative reflection in the program. Seven and six beats a hell out of six and seven. I'm sorry. And it just the whole offseason workouts, uh, recruiting, everything coming off a bowl win. Uh, blows away coming off a bowl loss. So, I think that it's you know, it's workable in that regard. Um I you know, I think Michigan State I can't, I have a hard time picking them though to win this game because I still see this Maryland game. Mm-hmm. I still see, you know, struggling against you know, uh Rutgers or what? I'm trying to think of the last yeah, Rutgers or the last couple of games. It they just don't impress me, especially the Maryland game and then in the Illinois game is what I'm lo- thinking about. Um it's I don't know. I don't know where this team is at, um, but uh, they, a, a win would be huge, I think, for them.
0: Well, Wake Forest is almost certainly better than Maryland, and that was a nail-biter down to the end, just a very good disgusting game to watch in every regard and Illinois who knows I mean that's a a team the Illini that uh, finished with a thud and their home loss to Northwestern but they're still going to go bowling and we'll get to theirs in just a moment so Michigan State again Wake Forest that's a 320 Eastern start Friday December 27th we'll have sound from Mark D'Antonio during our midweek podcast kind of getting you caught up in the pregame preview of this ESPN will have the televised coverage of the new era pinstripe bowl again Wake Forest 8 and 4 Michigan State Eight, six and six that'll be two days after Christmas also on that day the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl and number 16 rated Iowa against number 22 USC that's an 8 p.m. start that same night as Michigan State's bowl game on FS1 intriguing matchup here uh
1: can Iowa take out USC Tom oh I absolutely think uh Iowa I think Iowa's gonna win this game And Iowa's been pretty good in bowl games over the years. Uh, And Kirk Farron. this team is kind of on an uptick on the back end of the year. I think they're, 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 they're playing a lot more efficiently offensively and, USC. I mean, I, I thought they were going to have a new coach, but I guess they retain Clay Helton for another year. Boy, that there's a program that's held on hostage. My God, and the end is showing the recruiting. The recruit. They're not even the top forty in recruiting USC for twenty twenty right now. So it's not a. It's a program that should not be struggling, but it is because it's a huge brand. USC.
0: USC Iowa. That'll be the Holiday Bowl at eight p.m. Eastern Friday the twenty seventh on FS One. The very next day, Saturday the twenty eighth, that'll be the day of the semifinal play. Off games between LSU and Oklahoma, then of course Clemson, Ohio State. 8 p.m. Eastern ESPN. Earlier in the day at high noon, it's the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. I went down for two of those. Michigan State against Baylor. Their comeback win, of course, that was legendary. And then the college football playoff semifinal where they got their doors blown off by Alabama. ESPN will have the televised coverage. The group of five champion that gets in is 17th-ranked Memphis, fresh off their American Athletic Conference championship win in back-to-back weeks, both at home in Memphis over Cincinnati. They'll take on number 10, Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. Now, on paper, this looks like a very favorable matchup as well for the Big Ten, Tom, and should the Nittany Lions be able to contain Memphis and their offensive attack? I think they've got the dogs on defense and uh, maybe a little bit more bulk up front than Memphis has.
1: Yeah, Memphis got kind of a strange situation because their coach, Mike Norvell, Mike Norval, yep. um, uh, just took the Florida State job, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I guess he's going to stay on and coach, but God, is that got to be awkward or what? I mean, because he's probably going to be, his mind's going to be halfway thing about recruiting for FSU and doing two jobs at the same time, uh, like Hoxley did, you know, uh, or Loxley did last year for uh, going uh, to Maryland from Alabama. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think Penn State will win that game. Um, not a problem for the Big Ten there.
0: We are moving on now from that Cotton Bowl to the following Monday, and... Here's a a tip of the cap to Illinois Redbox Bowl. They go out west of Santa Clara, California, and it'll be a virtual home game for the Cal Bears on Fox. That'll be a 4 p.m. Eastern time start. So, Illinois, I don't know if they hurt their bowl position with the loss to Northwestern. If it would have been any different, I don't think it would have been. The Red Box Bowl wouldn't have taken Michigan State for a second straight year anyway. And the other bowls ahead of them, you know, Indiana would have qualified. And so, they're pretty much locked into this bowl bid. But again, it's going to be like a road game. Not sure how this plays to the Illinois alumni base. I know they've been hungry for good football basically since Juice Williams left. Do you think that the Illini alumni will travel for this game, Tom? Do you think they'll have any kind of representative showing at the Red Box Bowl?
1: Uh, two words. Hell, no. <laughs> Especially, <You're kidding> me. <laughs> like, I mean, the way they ended the season. You know, I, after they beat Michigan State, I Illinois you know, always getting all jacked up for uh, for football here. But uh, no, that got you know they they lost their last two games, losing to Northwestern in Champaign was just inexcusable the rival game uh, no Illinois and Illinois is gonna gonna get their blow, doors blown off about Cal and I don't know Squad dilly about Cal but Illinois spiraling down here down the stretch it's unfortunate for Lovey Smith because uh, they've had a good year but it's not, it's gonna end badly. <laughs>
0: And again, that'll be the Monday late afternoon game on December 30th, taking us into the new year and 2020. Two games simultaneously won the Outback Bowl, and that one will start at 1 p.m. Eastern time. ESPN with a televised coverage. 18th ranked Minnesota, 12th ranked Auburn. I have to like Auburn in this game. You've kind of been down on Minnesota all year long, Tom, and in particular, P.J. Fleck. Is this a guy that just rubs you the wrong way? <laughs>
1: Let me let me just repeat what you said. I, I kind of like Auburn. You you kind of like Auburn, <laughs> Ryan. There will be a running clock in this game uh, late in the third quarter. Yeah. <laughs> this game is gonna be ugly. Uh, five to six touchdown. Listen, Minnesota is not ready for prime time and to play a team in the SEC. You know, and most Big Ten teams aren't, and we'll talk about that other game on January 1 in a second here. But uh, this is no matchup. I mean, if I, whatever, my, whatever the margin is, it doesn't matter. I'm taking War Eagle, baby.
0: <laughs> Auburn has had a very <laughs> strong season, including the culmination of their campaign with the Iron Bowl win over Alabama. And they're nine and three, but they might be the the best nine and three team out there, and it could argue for a playoff spot. I don't know if it, if it expanded to yeah. eight, they'd be in the conversation with the quality of their wins, and they don't have a single bad loss on their docket either. Minnesota, Maybe Oregon,
1: too. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's big. a very good win. That's a very good point, Tom. Like I said, I mean that that's a strong schedule that Auburn has played, and Minnesota... Minnesota, you can't quite say the same about. And when they did get their chance at home against Wisconsin, the Badgers dominated them. So we'll see if uh, the script changes at all in the Outback Bowl. It's a tremendous accomplishment for P.J. Fleck and the Golden Gophers to go to the Outback. And I do think the Minnesota alumni base will be well represented uh, down there in Tampa, Tom.
1: Well, I, I hope they enjoy going to the beach and all that, you know, going over to Disney World and all that stuff. Could be, but Because they, they're not going to enjoy the game. <laughs> the game's going to be a train wreck for them.
0: And starting at that same time, 1 p.m. Eastern, this will be on ABC from Orlando, Florida, the Citrus Bowl, 13th-ranked Alabama against number 14, Michigan. And I'll start off by saying this reminds me a lot of of a similar bowl game that Michigan State played against Alabama when the Crimson Tide were left out of the championship process and they took Michigan State to school. That's one of the uglier bowl performances in Spartan history, along with the other one against Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. Does Michigan have a hope, prayer, or chance against Alabama? Tom, what say you?
1: Uh Boy, I mean, the, the, this when I saw this unfolding over the last couple of days, I go, Good Lord, this is a year that I wanted Michigan to just get the to just get the weakest opponent. Possible to get a bowl win after dropping three in a row and not ending the season with two consecutive losses, which has been the case. And good Lord, who do they draw? Alabama. You know, you know bowl games are about uh, attitude. And I think Michigan will have a good attitude going into it, I think, because I think they want to get the sour taste out of the Ohio State game. Alabama's going to be an interesting thing. You're either going to have a team say, hey, we're not in the playoffs, screw it, or Nick Saban and his old competitive self will challenge this team. We're not going to end it this way, guys. Your careers were a loss to Michigan, of all people, in the Citrus Bowl. I just, it's all about the position group matchups. Alabama's wide receivers against Michigan's secondary. Uh oh. You know, uh, You know, Alave running by Josh Metellus like he's a car parked on the side of the road. (laughs) I see that going on a lot in this Alabama game. I have a a not-so-good feeling about it. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's very improbable that Michigan will win this bowl game, and that will be their fourth consecutive bowl loss if they do. You know, people say, oh, they have nothing to lose. You know what? If, If Michigan loses to Alabama... You know, Paul Feinbaum's in the world. This is going to light up Michigan again. It's just going th- that whole narrative is going to continue.
0: This leads me to a question because I agree with you, Tom. I believe that the perimeter, the receivers for Alabama against the corners and safeties for Michigan is a glaring mismatch in the favor of the Crimson Tide. So Don Brown can only work with the tools that are in his kit. He hasn't done well in these big games against big, fast opponents, Ohio State most notably and most recently. If Alabama goes out and hangs like 45-52 on Michigan, is that the end of the line for Don Brown?
1: Uh oh that's a good that's a great question. Um I yeah, I I don't know. I, we haven't heard anything about I mean everything they're out recruiting all the coaches are this week. This is a huge week this past week for recruiting. Same thing holds for next week. Um I I don't know. Um it, it's it's how bad it is, I guess. Um and, and, you know, and that Jim Harbaugh loves Don Brown. He he calls him – I mean, uh, you wouldn't believe how much he's been raving about him. It would be a major flip of the script on that regard. So I think Don Brown has another year, mm-hmm. but it might be another year where there's going to be uh, maybe more input from Jim Harbaugh and maybe some more position group changes within the defense to fix it because they got to do something – Because it's it's not working, and when it gets to high caliber competition like Ohio State and what we're going to find out against Alabama, um, and even against Wisconsin, I mean, uh, it's not working.
0: Well, Alabama has a 1,200 yard receiver in Devontae Smith, and then let's not forget about Najee Harris, another one of those stable running backs.
1: A a guy that you know came down to Michigan and Alabama, but you know, close but no cigar. Mm -hmm. And They, they don't have a Najee Harris type of Obama has better athletes than Michigan faster they just are that's the bottom line
0: Harris with a, almost 1,100 yards rushing, definitely a player to keep an eye on in this game. Lots and lots of weapons for Alabama, and this will be a similar matchup in many ways to Ohio State. Although the quarterback question with Tua Tagliavola, of course, out for the season, is going to be something to watch. But Alabama just seems to reload, and we'll have much more on the specifics of this matchup as we draw closer to the game. That's a New Year's Day game, of course, the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. ABC televised coverage, 1 p.m. Eastern time. The other Big Ten team in action on that. Day in the Rose Bowl game presented by Northwestern Mutual is eighth-ranked Wisconsin. A good showing in the Big Ten title game against Ohio State. They did not embarrass themselves. They led by 14 at halftime, and they'll take on the Pac-12 champion, Oregon, who absolutely thumped Utah and robbed the Utes and the Pac-12 of a playoff bid because if Utah wins that game, most likely they stay ahead of Oklahoma and clinch that four-seed against LSU. This will be an ESPN telecast at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, looks to be a very good matchup on paper, Tom. And with the way Wisconsin played against Ohio State, you know Oregon's going to want to make this a track meet. But if Wisconsin can control the game on the ground with Jonathan Taylor, I would give them a very good chance to win.
1: Oh yeah, this 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 could be a pick'em game. And these teams are not; neither Oregon or Wisconsin have done well in the Rose Bowl as of late. So, there's programs that want to make a mark on this game, um, I, I like Wisconsin in this game. I, I for some reason I don't know why. But I just think Jonathan Taylor is going to go off on Oregon and and, and uh, they're going to maintain ball control and control the clock more, uh, you know, and, and enough rather uh, to beat the Ducks
0: one other game and it'll be the very next day for the Big Ten and their nine teams in action on January 2nd. That's a Thursday 7 p.m. Eastern time start on ESPN. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl in Jacksonville and the Indiana Hoosiers. Very good story this year. They go 8-4. and four. Strong campaign for Tom Allen. It earned him a seven year $27.3 million contract extension a couple of days ago. And they'll go up against Tennessee. A beatable volunteers team coming in at 7-5. and five. Uh, Just real quick thoughts on this game for Indiana for their fan base and the fact that they don't want Tom Allen going anywhere it seems like Tom.
1: No, and they re, I think they re-inked his, uh, his contract. Uh, you know, Indiana's uh, I, talk about attitude. They're going to have a great attitude about this game. That's In fact, those two teams used to play each other a lot uh, early in the season. Yeah, I, I, I see Indiana win this game and, and Tim, I had to Tom Allen for this. I mean, he had problems on his defense last year. He demoted his D.C. Um, and, and brought in another de- defensive coordinator. It didn't fire the, the other old D.C. permanently, but, I mean, repositioned him. It worked out really good. It's not like they got a juggernaut defense, but way better than they had last year.
0: So that's a look at the Big Ten Bulls slate coming up. We'll have a closer look as we draw closer to each one of those games and take a look at Michigan State, Wake Forest, and the New Era Pinstripe Bowl and Michigan, Alabama in the citrus. With Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schulinger. You're listening to the Great Lakes Divide podcast right here, courtesy of the Record Lounge in Rio Town. And Christmas shopping still in front of you? You're freaking out. You don't know what to get. What does dad want? Well, how about some all-time great vinyl like Tom Crawford used to listen to and the high-fidelity <laughs> stereos? Set up the entire room for your dad, for your uncle, for your grandfather, for your son. You can get all the great sounds at the Record Lounge. They have a extensive catalog the best you're going to find the widest variety the largest record store owned by a woman in the state of michigan heather frari likes to point that out our prod sponsor and a happy belated birthday to heather who celebrated hers just this past friday i believe she's 29 i'm just guessing there but i think that's right and again they're located south on washington from 496 downtown lansing in the rio town marketplace that's the record lounge in rio town Turning now to hoops and the Michigan Wolverines, 103-91 winners in a Loyola Marymount style game over Iowa at Chrysler Center. Iowa goes zone. That was a mistake. This is the Luka Garza show, and it was almost like the Luka Garza rules. Remember the Pistons used to guard Michael Jordan and say, you do whatever you want. We're going to shut down everybody else. It's kind of what happened here. Garza had 44 points. It's the most ever in a road performance by a player at Chrysler. The rest of the team had 47, so he nearly had half of the their point total, 44 points, eight rebounds. He took 32 of the team's 74 shots, making 17 of those, so better than 50%. But Iowa could not keep up with the Wolverines who had a spread, balanced attack. They had five guys in the starting lineups, all with double figures. And off the bench, Brandon Johns Jr., 12 points, eight rebounds, and a whole hell of a lot of hustle. And that's what Juwan Howard talked about after this one.
2: I saw a great production out of them playing with a lot of energy, Ton of effort and just playing inspired basketball. It was great to see like Brandon, Brandon Johns um, coming in there, give us a huge lift. Super active around the offensive glass, um, cutting to the basket for layups and dunks. Uh, being very active on the defensive end and then also making outside shots. And they played with a ton of confidence tonight. Um, Austin Davis was huge. For them. John Teske got in foul trouble. I trust our guys. Colin, he went out with an injury, uh, which uh, stitches to his lip. Austin, uh, next man up. Uh, we have his motto on our team: stay ready, so you don't have to get ready. And that's how our guys respond.
0: Michigan head coach Jawan Howard. Also hearing from Brandon Johns himself, a product of East Lansing High School. He played, of course, under our mutual friend, Tom's and mine, Steve Finnamore with the Trojans there in that program. And surprised some people by going to Michigan instead of staying home right in his backyard at Michigan State. But style of play seemed to fit better with John Beeline. And in the transition to Jawan Howard, it seems like he's taking to it as well. Nearly a double-double in this game. And every time I looked up watching, Brandon Johns was sprawled out on the floor going after a loose ball getting a key offensive rebound, kicking it back out on offense. And here's what he had to say about his performance and what the keys are for him in executing on both ends.
2: Sometimes some people often want to score. They want to be an offensive player. But I feel that more you're on defense, you're going offense. So once you, once one starts rolling, the other one will start rolling for sure. So I just wanted to be a good guy on defense. And then offense came up so... Just a really standout
0: performance, Tom, by Brandon Johns in this one. Again, a high-scoring game, 103-91, the final, and a balanced scoring attack. Franz Wagner led everybody with 18, but Xavier Simpson was 16, as well as John Teske at 14 from Isaiah Livers, 13 from Eli Brooks, and 12 from Brandon Johns. Your takeaways from this game, and I guess we'll start with Brandon Johns himself.
1: Yeah, Brandon. This was a great opportunity for Brandon. Uh, he was called upon, and as as and you know, basically his comments after the game was, "It starts on defense." And it's funny with with you know John Beeline, uh his system is is really challenging to learn. And when I talked to Brandon last year, um, he was kind of overwhelmed with learning the offensive and defensive schemes. And uh, you know, with Juan it's 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 been. A, I could tell his attitude when I talked to him on media day. He was all excited about this, and it shows. He spent he talked he, he worked with a psychologist this summer on self confidence. Um and Brandon, um when I was saw him play in high school, didn't didn't really lack confidence, but you know, it's another level right now. But I thought that I was so happy for this young man. I mean when he twelve and eight and, and just the fact that he was just hustling, he was tipping the ball. He actually got more than eight rebounds when he tipped some things out. He was just Totally active, and that's what you want to to be. And it was just a, a, a one cog and a you know, and you got six players to get double figures, nine players score. This is a deep team, Ryan. That's the the biggest strength this Michigan team has. They had 50 points at halftime. They had 43 the entire game at Louisville. Yes, Iowa is very porous when it comes to defending. The, the basketball, but this is a good team, and Luca Garza is one of those guys that worked hard in the off season. He's got a different body. He's quicker. He's stronger. He's gonna be a beast. I was a good team. I was gonna win a lot of basketball games this year in the Big Ten.
0: Did Garza's performance uh, concern you at all, Tom? That he was able to hang 44 on Michigan, or was that just kind of flow of the game? You're gonna let him get his, and just make sure you shut down everybody else.
1: Well, the strategy was to get Teske in foul trouble, and it worked. I mean, Teske only had 23 minutes mm-hmm. of action in this game. But what the the best thing when the, back to this depth thing, Austin Davis comes off the bench, mm-hmm. ten po- or uh, ten minutes of, uh, of of play, and has eight points. When you have Austin Davis giving you quality minutes in a critical game, because all these three games, Louisville on the road, non-conference, although it, a top team top number you know number one team in in the nation and then you had iowa at home illinois on wednesday night in Champaign, and then oregon coming in for that cbs game next saturday this was the most important because you've got to protect home court if you want to vie for a big Ten title you win all your home games split the road games and then what get that makes you what Mm 15-5 that might get you a crown
0: Brandon Johns with five offensive rebounds, extending possessions, and many times Michigan was able to score with that second look at the basket. And you look at stocking stuffers this time of year, every column favored Michigan that mattered. Rebounds, 38-30. Assists, 21-13. Edge, maize and blue. Steals, they had four to only one steal on the night total for Iowa. They didn't have a single block shot, the Hawkeyes. Michigan had six, four of those by John Teske, who was in foul trouble. Michigan only had nine turnovers only forced seven, but every countable category, including shooting percentage. Michigan was a scintillating. 55.2% from the floor, including almost 42% from three. And another big thing in this game for me, Tom, is they got to the line. And when they got to the line, they converted and scored, they did. Sh- shooting 85%, 29-34. And Franz Wagner got to the line 10 times, made nine. I like what I'm seeing out of him. He's being aggressive offensively. Didn't shoot extremely well, especially from three, but was again Going to the basket, making
1: Iowa have to foul him. Uh, Franz is a uh, yeah. If you had asked me who the leading scorer was, and it was Franz with 18, I would not guess it. It was a quiet 18 points. He just does a lot. He's got a real jaw for the basket, In his international style of play. He's not timid. He he takes it to the rack. And He's going to be a really, really good play. When Juwan talks about Franz, you can you can just see in his facial expressions, he's really excited. I just hope this guy's not a one-and-done. I hope he doesn't get two guys. I'd love to get two years out of this cat because mm-hmm. he's going to be a really good contributor to this Michigan basketball program.
0: Michigan wins their Big Ten opener over Iowa at home. They'll take to the road this Wednesday night. That's a 9 p.m. Eastern start on Big Ten Network against Illinois. So Tom and I will probably record our podcast on Thursday rather than Wednesday this week unless Tom's burning the midnight oil. If he's got a lot of caffeine in him, we'll see what we can do. But that would only be, that'd be like 1130 at night, Tom. I'm not sure you want to go yeah, for that.
1: And, and I'm not sure I'm going to be in a good mood because I i saw what Illinois did. They, they should have beaten Maryland. That's going to be a tough out to win mm-hmm. in Champagne. We'll see
0: what happens, but we'll have that game recap for you coming up in our midweek podcast at whatever point that is. And that's the tune-up for Saturday's date with number 13, Oregon. Noon start on CBS. And we'll have that game recapped in our weekend upcoming coming podcast a week from now. Turning now to Michigan State, and it was a struggle, and the night that we're recording this podcast, we waited for this result, and Michigan State did pull it out. 77-65, a bizarre game for Rutgers. They didn't get much out of their starters, but they got 29 points off the bench from two players, Akwazi Yoboa and Jacob Young. They score 17-12 and 12 respectively in this game. Michigan State really struggled in the half-court offense during the first half. Xavier Tillman finished with a double double 14 and 10 rebounds he was six of eight from the floor looked a lot stronger and when he's not having to be matched up against an a plus blue chip type player down low he seems to come out of his shell more offensively Gabe Brown started in this game and rewarded that decision by Tom Izzo with 14 points including eight of eight from the line he is one guy that has attacked the basket with regularity hasn't shot extremely well but that will come and another guy that I like the performance out of was Aaron Henry again didn't shoot well 2 of 10, 1 of 5 from 3, but got to the line 8 times, had 12 points, was aggressive, looked for his shot, took his shot, that's all you can ask for. He's not necessarily going to make him. The Spartans shot poorly, especially in the first half tonight, but I like what I saw out of Aaron Henry. Then, of course, Cassius Winston, the usual suspect, leads the team with 23 points, had 7 assists in this one as well. Not much coming off the bench. A little bit of a spark from Malik Hall, but he didn't score a whole lot. And then Thomas Kithier uh, in limited minutes only had 6 points and four rebounds so Tom I know you didn't get to see a lot of this game but the fact that Michigan State struggled and they continue to struggle in their half-court offensive execution in three-point shooting they were 7 of 21 just 33 percent your thoughts on Michigan State at this point in the season struggling with a team like Rutgers who is better let's give them credit they're not a a doormat like they are in football or have been in basketball in the past they're a decent team but for them to come in and give Michigan State fits for the better part of 40 minutes in this one was a troubling sign
1: for the Spartans. Oh, it's inexcusable. I mean, I thought after that Duke loss that that they'd come out firing. I was expecting a 20, 25 to maybe even a 30-point margin of victory. Listen, Michigan State is Cassius Winston, really good player, and a bunch of role players who are just looking at Cassius to to do something. Nobody is really stepping up. Maybe with the exception of Xavier Tillman, who actually played pretty well against Duke, and he was pretty good tonight in his 38 minutes of work with 14 points. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, they're—I mean—and you know, the positive people from Michigan State, you know, fan base, and it's justifiably so, is don't worry about it. You know, we'll get this team back together uh, on, on a roll. You know, we get to February and, and in March when it really matters, and that's that'll probably the case. But there's some – there's some really puzzling things about this team. They're just not as imposing, and it starts with Aaron Henry. I mean, I thought this guy was going to have an R.J. Barrett type of year this year. Mm-hmm. I really did, and I'm just going to, you know, not just comparing because he's left-handed. I mean, I, I really thought he was going to have a great year. Tom Izzo was really puzzled post-game in the Duke game. He says, I don't know. You know, he just was speechless. I don't, I have no idea what's going on with him. You know, and that sounded like a really discouraging word on him. But he was being transparent about it. I don't know. If there's, I don't know if it's a leadership thing, and I'm sure this, you know, tragedy that Cassius Winston had had impact on the team. But that that's no excuse for not to hustle and and you know to go out and, and just play hard. And they're sloppy. They're really sl- a lot of lazy passes. I saw a little bit of it tonight, and then we saw that against Duke. And that's where turn, t- turnovers for touchdowns took place when the Duke game. Uh, Michigan State's got to get the act together. Fortunately for them, they got a bunch of cupcakes until Michigan comes to town on January 5th.
0: (laughs) And that's the one we're all pointing toward, both for Michigan and Michigan State, as their early season barometer in this uh, 2019-20 season. Now, uh, for the Oakland Golden Grizzlies, it's been a mixed bag for them to this point. This isn't your typical Greg Campy team that's come out of the gate uh, on fire. They've had a 30-point loss at Maryland under their belt, so they challenged themselves in the non-conference portion of the schedule. They played four MAC teams in a row. They lost three of those all all on the road. Northern Illinois, Toledo, Bowling Green. They did beat Western Michigan, so they've got that pelt on the wall. They did beat Southern Illinois, and now it all comes down to a noon start on Saturday. ESPN 2 will have the televised coverage at Little Caesars Arena as the Spartans and the Golden Grizzlies have extended this series. Greg Campy still looking for his first win against Michigan State, and again, it's not his best squad that he's had as you look back at Kay Felder and some of the other guys, he's had come through the ranks and, and get them to the NCAA tournament. But Spartans now have a full week to prepare here, Tom. You thought they'd come out a little bit stronger after the loss to Duke. They really didn't. They're, they're still kind of trying to grease the gears here. But between now and Saturday's game against Oakland, what are you looking for from Michigan State?
1: Well, I'm, I'm just seeing, uh, yeah, I'm looking for somebody to step out offensively that's doing it on his own accord. Uh, and I don't know who that's going to be. I mean, I, is, it, is it going to be Aaron Henry? I don't know. Is it going to be a Gabe Brown? I don't know. One of those two um, needs to help. Think about when I look at Kithier, Ryan, I was just noticing this the other day, and, and the reason I bring this up is that Luca Garza, when you look at him, what he did in the offseason, you know, he's buffed. He really put the work in. Thomas Kithier is a, you know, is a banger. You know, he's a tough dude, but it, physically he doesn't look any different than he looked last year. And it really surprises me that he doesn't have a, um, a just a more physical presence and, and, and put in the work to improve his body, much like Teske did as well. Um, I don't know if there's something lacking in that program in that regard, but that was just something that stood out to me when I watched him put, go against Duke.
0: So we'll continue with our coverage of Michigan State basketball in our next weekend's podcast, reflecting on that game against Oakland. Michigan in action twice uh, during that time. Our midweek podcast will look back at that road game against Illinois, which could be very tough. Again, a 9 o'clock start, nighttime, Eastern time on Big Ten Network before Saturday's game against Oregon Noon on CBS. The Wolverines beat Iowa 103-91. The Spartans over Rutgers Sunday night 77-65. Tom Crawford, always like to give you the Jerry Springer, final thought. What is it tonight?
1: <laughs> the final thought is this: uh, for all Big Ten teams, like I said earlier, you got to protect home court if you're going to win this thing. Because that that Maryland game, Illinois could have stole one, but Maryland survived, and that's what they. That's what you got to do: survive at home. Make sure you don't get beat, and uh, then you'll be contending if you're one of those top five or six teams.
0: Looking to continue our midweek interview series. Could have a special guest on Wednesday. We'll see who we can dig up, who's going to be willing to come on with us in the past. We've talked to Jim Branstadter, John Borton, John U. Bacon. Try to get somebody from the Michigan State side of the ledger. I don't know why we've been leaning maize and blue. I think it's Blue Billy Tom's influence on me, but we'll definitely get some Spartan perspective, hopefully midweek portion of this podcast. Maybe looking back at Mark D'Antonio's comments for his weekly press conference as Michigan State football prepares. For Wake Forest in the Pinstripe Bowl, and one more time, Michigan, Alabama in the Citrus. We'll take a look ahead at that one as well. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling. The sound you hear going out are brought to you by Heather Frary and the Record Lounge. holiday shopping awaits you at the Rio Town Marketplace, South on Washington for 496 downtown Lansing. Check them out. Storefront property right through the window. All the latest and greatest in vinyl. Take a walk down memory lane. Get vintage stereo equipment that works like brand new as well. Special orders also taken, turning around with in 24 to 48 hours. It's Heather Frari, her great staff, and the entire group there at the record lounge in Rio Town. Have a great week, everybody.